Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest names. I am Alan Seals, and this podcast is with Stephen Sater, the author and writer of Alice by Heart and Spring Awakening, and he's won Tonys, and he's won an Olivier Award, and he's won a Grammy for Spring Awakening, and his story is incredible. I know I've say, I say this about like, oh, this person's story is really cool, but this dude uh, did really didn't go to school as a young kid in Indiana due to health issues, like literally wasn't even homeschooled, he was saying, and is now one of the most well-educated, well-rounded people I have ever spoken to. I mean, you kind of have to be as a, as a writer, I think. But uh, it, he had a serious injury in his early 20s, which we, we go into. And during that time when he was literally immobile, he taught himself ancient Greek and that is what he used as the basis for Spring Awakening, which, of course, we know has become this huge hit with lots of tours. And now it's opening in, in Asia and it's all over the place. So the, the conversation is just incredible. So, Stephen, if you're listening, just thank you. And as always, before we get into this, please visit me online at thetheaterpodcast.com. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter, theater underscore podcast. Leave a rating, leave a review, tell your neighbor, and show your support for the podcast via thetheaterpodcast.com slash Patreon. Now, please enjoy this episode with Stephen Sater. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Here you go. One, two, three. I have the pleasure today of speaking with two-time Tony winning, Olivier Award winning, and Grammy Award winning writer and author of shows such as Murder at the Gates, Alice by Heart, and of course, Spring Awakening. Also the author of Alice by Heart, the novel being released February 4th, 2020, Stephen Sater. Welcome to the Theater Podcast. Thank you so much. It's exciting to be here. So you've got you've got the galley copy there in front of I you. I do. I brought it for you to decorate. <laughs> I thought it would look good with the red, with the decor. Yes. <laughs> so why, I guess, um, we'll get into your childhood because I think you have oh. a fascinating childhood. Oh, yeah. I guess, yeah. Well, I was reading, and I want you to tell the story. But <laughs> okay, I was, I will. But um, so you were <laughs> born in, started in Evansville, Indiana. I did, yeah. Oh, you want me to start there? Yes, yes. Well, I, um, what would I say? I um. You know, I was thick as a kid. I know that's not really quite about Evansville. My dad had a clothing store. Should we talk about that in Evansville? So it's it called Sater's Store. So all my clothing, like when I went to Sleepaway Camp, already said Sater's in the back of it. So that <laughs> so was, you already had your that name was in good, it. yeah. And I worked in the clothing store from the time I was about 12 over all vacations and weekends. And that was my identity. But I was also this thick kid. So, I mean, I was ill. Mm -hmm. So from the time I was like three till about the time I was seven or eight, I was always in and out of hospitals. I had like bronchial issues, pneumonia. And so I was, I was, when I was home, I was confined in my room and everything was covered with plastic. And 
You were a bubble boy. I was a bubble boy. Oh my gosh. I was. I had like oxygen tents in the hospital and then I would come home and then I wasn't allowed to go out. I didn't go to school. So you're homeschooled? Very little. No. This was Evansville, Indiana. (laughs) (laughs) No one knew what homeschool meant. But my sister, who was older than I, used to come home and teach me her lesson plan that I would, they would send the tests and I would do really well on the tests. And, um, so, and there were days I went to school. There were absolutely days I went to school, but I didn't go that often. Well, what was it with the respiratory issues? Do you, do you ever know and what like it was? Like pneumonia and bronchitis and, you know, things like that. And, and I, was, I was really, really allergic to a lot of the medications, which they didn't realize at the time. Oh, like no. Penicillin and, yeah, tetracycline, all these things I was on. Um, so then those, those complicated the condition. Mm-hmm. But um, what I would do was right place and so i did and i would like my aunt was like a year older than i was and so she and she would come stay with us and my sister we would like put on these plays and do stuff and i would charge admission to to, um, kids in the neighborhood and then i wrote like the sunday school plays and so i had a puppet theater i did this kind of stuff okay so i wrote a novel in us five what? I know I'm telling you all these things as if they were accomplishments in life, but my no, mother, no, right, writing. My mother like, pulled out this novel that I had printed at age five on like, you know, that blue lined yeah. <laughs> notebook paper at, or just paper. And it was about, this is so funny. It's about three sisters who are <laughs> really depressed in the Midwest and want to get out. I swear to you, it was like I'm not. I'm not saying it was Chekhov. I'm just saying it had a similar theme or subject. <laughs> when I when I was a kid, I won an award for my my short story called "The Life and Hard Times of a Cockroach." Oh my god! So there you go. So yeah, it's so it, Kafka and Chekhov. We it was. were there. We were right. <laughs> but okay, so I read. You didn't talk about this, but you read that there was an apartment fire. In oh yeah, that your childhood. happened when I was twenty. Oh, oh, so not... That was later. Okay, so... That I, was when I was my sophomore year in college. Oh. Which was in St. Louis. I went to Washington University in St. Louis. Okay. And we moved off campus. Yeah. And um, it's sort of like the Glass Menagerie. This, these, these tenement buildings are all around Wash U. And we were in one of those apartments. And um, like second floor and... No, third floor. And um, what happened, there's a, a fire started in the building. And um, oh, this is an awful story, but it's real. I, I woke, like this smell woke me up. And I remember my first thought was like Helen Keller. Somehow it's like as a little boy, I had read some book about how Helen Keller woke <laughs> up and she smelled the fire and she got everyone out of the house, except I couldn't get out. I was like trapped. by My bed went up in flames. My door was all flames. So I was trapped out, went on this balcony And someone yelled up, you know, the fire department's been called. Just wait there. And um, I remember I had to have my bathroom. I said, it's getting hot. And that next instant, like the glass of the French doors blew out at me and my robe went up in flames. I was on fire. And so I have to throw up this one screen, jump. How how tall? What floor was this? It was third floor. An old tenement building too. It was high and... I had to like leap up on this balcony and then jump. And I did. And um, 
I shattered and fractured a total of 14 vertebrae and I broke my arms and my wrists and I was all burned all over and uh, was like a traumatic episode. Well, it wasn't good. The, the <laughs> reason, the reason I brought this up is because it was like kind of a, aside from being a traumatic experience <laughs> in your life anyway. Yeah. But that's kind of the turning point. At least I was reading, right? When you decided, like when during recovery, when you decided seriously, you want to pursue the arts. Yeah, I was in the arts. I was, um, well, I was, you know, I was always a good student without having to do that much work. You know, I was like that kind of person who went to public schools. And, yeah. and um, I, uh, I, act, I discovered acting in high school and forensics. I was like in forensic society. And um, so at WashU, I was just doing all these plays and taking classes. But then I had, um, I think what it was, it, it just made me feel that everything I'd been attached to was ephemeral. And I had written this, I was taking a James Joyce course and I, you know, James Joyce kind of to the, took the Odyssey and kind of updated it to the story of two men, you know, in present day London, which was you know, 1920. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I wrote this version of trying to do to Ulysses between my teacher and me. And um, it burned up. <laughs> so everything burned up, all the, you know, and he had no copy. And I thought, wow, I just have to like start learning about things that are more lasting. And I was, I was being turned. I was on this striker frame. It's like an ironing board that gets turned every two hours. Yeah. So from my back to my stomach. And at 4 a.m., this nun was turning me and she said, you know, God saved you for a reason. And it just like went like this electric charge through my body. I remember the moment and um, thought, wow, I have to do something. So I started... I taught myself ancient Greek. Yeah. I had a page turner I could turn with my mouth because I couldn't use my arms. Freaking like so a was, full body cast right, was, sort of thing. Yeah. And I was, and I was turned every, but I had this, it had like a, um, a, an eraser on the bottom of it. So yeah. I could turn a page and mm -hmm. it turned it into the clips. So you had to get good at turning with this eraser into the clips. So I, I read all these novels and I taught myself ancient Greek. And I swear to you, Alan, that there would be no spring awakening if I had, if it were not for my immersion in Greek tragedy. Really? 100%. Because Greek tragedy offered me a model of how songs could work in a different way than the way we think of them in, in musical theater. That, they, that the songs were not forwarding the story, but that they took you deeper into an investment, that they deepened it the story and that the songs were the story of the, I thought that youth was like a city on fire hmm. and that, that so that the young people could be singing as a course. It also, it's very Ulysses. The songs are internal monologues. So yeah. it's like modernist 20th century literature. But then yeah. when you go in, all the kids can be singing in touch me or all the kids can be singing. I believe they can be replacing that, you know, in West Side story, Tony and Maria would sing the last song, the act. I didn't want that. I wanted Melchior and Venla to be there and the kids to voice what was within them. And that comes from Greek tragedy. Oh, I mean, yeah. this is the origin of it in me. Yeah, so it's, it's like the Greek chorus. Yes. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because they sang. Yeah, I can totally see. Now that you said that, <laughs> like, I want to go back and listen to the soundtrack again. I was like, yeah, I'm playing it in my head right now. I can totally hear that. Yeah, that's incredible. And then, okay, so that was 20 when you had the... But I was age 20, yeah. Yes, yeah, so you're 20. I wasn't thinking about spring awakening. Right, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> that was a while ago. Um, and then, so when did you go to Princeton? You studied English Afterwards, Lit. English Lit at Princeton. I did. So I spent 
a long time in this hospital. And then I came out and I went back to um, school for two years at WashU. And then I went to Princeton for graduate school in English literature. And I was very, I, I did a, you know, I was like really studious and good student at this point, but I also was truant a little bit and spent time in classics in ancient Greek. That's I had this amazing professor there okay. who always said to me, when you look at these great tragedies, one moment they say sex and the next line is death. It's always sex and death. And when I was working on Spring Awakening, I thought, wow, act one is sex, act two is death. <laughs> I did. You think I'm kidding? It's true. Well, it's very true. <laughs> Michael very... Mayer and I used to talk about it. Yeah. Well, okay. So, so then, okay. You worked in you worked at NYC. Come out of Princeton. Working at NYC. Yeah. But you were still writing plays. But you're working yeah. for a literary was, agent at the time. I was, yeah. and I was yeah. getting nowhere. But that was good. I right. mean, it was it was what it was. Right. Yeah. I had this right. play called Carbondale Dreams that ran at this theater. It was called the Kaufman Theater. It was on 42nd Street between 10th and 11th, and it ran there for like a year and a half. It was in a 99-seat theater, so it wasn't like it right. made money, but it was running. It was like selling out, you know? So at what point... Okay, so you get out of Princeton, and how old are you at this point? 24. 24. Okay, and then at what point did you join, and I'm probably going to butcher the name, the Sokagaki International? Sokagaki, yeah. Okay. Um, a few years later. Which is... What is it for those who don't know? It's a, um, it's a lay Buddhist organization. It's worldwide. It's like a great grassroots world peace organization. And that's how I met my wife and it's how I met Duncan. Right, Duncan Sheik, yeah. Uh-huh. Right, that's Duncan and I chant. That was the first thing we ever did together was really? chant. Uh-huh. And I'll tell you, it was right now, it was January 2nd, um, 1999. I went to his house to chant with him. That's incredible. I was, at that point, I'd been chanting for some years. And he, I was like an arts division leader in the Sokogakai in New York. And um, someone called me and said, Duncan Sheik just moved to New York. And I said, that's cool. And they were like, no, could you reach out to him and just tell him that there's an arts division if he wants to chat? And I was like, oh, okay. And I kind of felt, and we had, we had voice, we had machines at that point. Or do we have machines or we have voicemail on our phones? And so I called him and just said, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. And there's arts division and I, whatever. And he called me right back. He was on tour and like, when can you come back? Can you, I'll be back. And I'm in, I don't remember where it was. And I went to his house and we chanted and we just, it turned into like a five hour meeting. We both still talk about it. It was like just this night of a lifetime. It was like a meeting of a lifetime. It just changed so my are you, life. Are you, since. were you a spiritual person before then? You were talking about you were in a, you were in a, a nun was, was spinning yeah. you. I picture you like, like on a, on a roast. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a little bit like that being on a spit. A yeah. Spit, yeah. yeah. Um, so were you a spiritual person or before um, that? I don't know. I mean, is Shakespeare spiritual? I mean, I was very, um, I love literature. I love poetry. I wasn't, oh, I grew up Jewish, but I wasn't practicing right. in any way, you know, and the nun moved me. But I, no, not necessarily. I, you know, I, um, do you know who Marilyn Sokol is? Mm-mm. She's an actress, comedian. And I was having dinner with her in this Japanese restaurant one night and I was ordered some dish that had like lotus root in it. And she said, oh, I do this chant that has lotus in it. You should come to a meeting. So I went. And so I started chanting and I went to this meeting and they said, someone said, um, do you have things in your life you want to see happen that aren't happening? It was like, yeah. And it was like, why don't you write down three of them and start chanting and see what happens. And I started chanting and then things started to happen. And so I like continued chanting and like that. But Buddhism... 
is, you know, there's no separation between, there's spirit and matter, but they're like two, but not two. Mm -hmm. There's no spirit in Buddhism without matter. And the way that we think of body and soul, like in a Christian tradition, that's not what Buddhism is like. Buddhism is like life. And life itself is the essence of life. And life always, there's no spirit without matter and there's no matter without spirit. I definitely want to talk to you about this when we're done in recording. Well, <laughs> yeah, this is more detail. This is a very given. Given what we were talking about before we started recording, I, I'm very much into like like mental health and self discovery, and yeah. and and this part of why I started this podcast was to have real in depth conversations with successful people in an in yeah. an area of the arts that I'm so passionate about. Mm. And so what you said is like. I think I've been looking for this. Oh, really? So, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, I definitely, I definitely want to talk about it. So, um, that's, yes, that's how I met Duncan. Okay. So, and then Duncan, you and Duncan have been working together. We for, have. Forever. So, since January 2nd, 99, we wrote a song that night. Wow. Because I was doing this, play, I was doing a play in London with Laurie Anderson, a radical version of Shakespeare's Tempest. And mm-hmm. I thought that was cool. And I was also doing this play here downtown at here. And I told him about it. And as I was leaving his home, which was probably one in the morning, um, he said, is there a song in the play? Because it was about a would-be singer-songwriter who doesn't get there. And um, I said, there is. It's just this little thing. I, you know, it's, And he said, well, could you, I see the lyric? So I went home and I faxed it to him. Faxed it? <laughs> I swear. And the next day he called me and said, I have a song for you. And I said, I'm leaving for London. He said, meet me for lunch. And I did. And he handed me a CD. And it was the song. And he had said it verbatim. And I went to London and I came back and I was sitting at rehearsal. It was Rob Sedgwick was playing the role, Kara's brother. And um, he said, you know, there's this amazing Dylan song we should use for the play. And I said, I wrote a song with Duncan Sheik. And he said, yeah, but we need an up-tempo song. And I said, well, maybe I could write an up-tempo lyric. I'd never written lyrics. I never aspired to writing lyrics at all. And so I wrote this other lyric. It's called Mr. Chess. And I faxed it to Duncan, who was at Sundance. <laughs> and he wrote another song. And then I like got this bug and I started faxing him lyrics. And we had five or six. And he said, we should do an album together. I thought this was amazing. And then he came to see the play. It was called Umbridge mm-hmm. at the time, down at here, that had these two songs in it. That they, were, they were not even in the play. They were like recorded. And um, he saw the play and he liked it. I think he liked it a lot. And I said, um, you know, we could do something in the theater together. And he made this face. And, I, he, and he said, musical theater? And I said, well, no, no, if we could do something cool. And he said, if I were going to do something in musical theater, I want to do something where the music is relevant to the culture at large. And the minute he said it, I just thought of Spring Awakening. Just like this just came up on me. That's well, it's based on a novel. It's so a Spring Awakening. It's yeah. a play. It's an expressionist German play from the, arguably the first symbol, the first expressionist play from 1892. And you were already familiar with with the play, I guess, before yeah, you started I discovered writing it at the yeah. school library in Evansville. Not yeah. the school library, sorry, the town library. Um, was it a hard sell? It was my audition piece when I moved to New York. Oh, really? Conscience monologue. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. 
ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. What? Uh, okay, so I guess, yeah, we, gl- we glossed over that. Did you ever try to be a performer, or were you always on the creative I, side? I, um... I was what I did in college a lot. And I was, yeah. Yeah. And I was like a star in Evansville. You know what I mean? In like community productions. And I was president of thespians and all this stuff. And um, then I thought it was what I was going to do. And then I had this accident and that changed everything. And I became very studious. And then I went to Princeton and I thought, I've got to get out of here and come to New York and go back to theater. And I thought I was going to be performing. And then I tried it for a bit. I like did like some bur- a Burger King thing. I just I thought you know this is not. I'm too serious for this. So I mean for this life it just wasn't. It didn't fit me at yeah. that point. I got too anxious. So I'm writing one. I, I and I had a day job. So right. Well, Spring Awakening. I mean, you got all the awards for that. We you did. Know? And you and Duncan both got you know got a Grammy for the we did for the album as well, and it's yeah. it's just beautiful, and it's still like you know the revival. You had you did the revival in twenty sixteen, um, which I actually want to talk about for a second because uh-huh. it was with Def West. It was, and where did that where did that come from? The idea of including Michael Arden, yeah, which I now know came from Andy Mantis, but it but it, <laughs> Andy proposed it to Michael yeah. because Michael wanted to do something with Def West, and you know Michael has that heritage with Def West from. You know, doing he was Huck Finn, mm-hmm. um, so he proposed it, and I immediately thought that's a really cool idea. And then he did. We didn't attend the workshops he did. I didn't see them, and then I knew about it. And then I went to see the production downtown in LA. That was my first exposure to it. So I saw it, you know, downtown, and then I had a lot of I had long conversations with Michael about the show and the way it was working, and then. Um, and notes, and then they, they brought it, they really, and he involved Spencer Liff, which was transformative, too. When he did it at the Annenberg, mm-hmm. which was beautiful, and Duncan and I attended previews. And the night we were there, it was a complete sound disaster, and they started really late, and the sound was terrible. And, you know, Duncan is not someone to be, like, to, you know, to bring in when there's sound problems. <laughs> I understand, it's very frustrating for right. him. Um, but, um and then when we agreed to have the show come to Broadway, which was a very big decision for us, um, we really got involved. I was I was at rehearsal all the time, and I was signing mm-hmm. the actors. That was an amazing. Did you experience. Did you learn it? Part of a commu- enough to communicate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I've lost a lot of it. Yeah, I guess it's like any language, right? It's partially I think it is. Yeah, partial much muscle memory, and I, yeah. I don't I don't know any, hardly any of it except like the basic <laughs> alphabet. But yeah. Um, Okay, so that was in 2016, the revival. Mm-hmm. And then you had also, so Alice by Heart, obviously, which you're here to talk about. It was opened in spring of 2019. Mm-hmm. And the Murder at the Gates was also in the West End in April 2019. No, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's moving t- toward the West End. It's been, it's been being workshopped in London. You know the other palace? Oh, it was workshopping into, okay, okay. You know the other palace? It's Andrew Lloyd Webber's 
yeah. theater. It's where actually we did a production of my show with Burt Backrack, um, Some Lovers. Mm-hmm. So we worked on it there and we presented it there, but it, it and it's going forward in the UK, but it at a place to be announced. Okay, so you were you were opening Alice by Heart here in yes. in New York off Broadway mm-hmm. at the MCC mm-hmm. and, and left like the next day of the, the recording of the. I literally went from the cast album recording the end of it in a car to London. I mean, not you know a car yeah. to the airport to London. Yeah. <laughs> you just drove to London. <laughs> yeah. in your magic flying car. Um, cool. So <laughs> was. Was that a process for you um, I, to work on both at once? Is it normal for you to have two projects or multiple projects kind it of in is, the fire? It is, and it was really hard. And I'll tell you, it was really challenging with this novel, the Alice Bihar novel, which I really put my heart and soul into. And I'm a book person, as you've just heard. Like mm-hmm. That's what I come from. And it's I treasure books, and it's all... Did you see the show? Yeah. Alice Bihar, it's all, yeah, I did. It's all about a book. It's all about the power of a book. And the girl had a have using a book to stand up to the injustice of the world, you know, and the power of the imagination in a dark, chaotic, chaotic time like the one we're living in, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of transform one circumstance. And um, so making it into a book was a huge decision. And then I was invested in it. And while doing it, I was doing so many shit. That's what I'm talking about. It was so challenging to be proofing, you know, copy edits and having and doing major changes and and being, you know, doing this this musical, yeah, <laughs> and doing this show in London, and also I'm de- I'm developing an original musical television series, so I was some of that was going on too. Well, put a pin in that. I didn't know about that, but <laughs> the so the novel that is yes, sitting here right now was you were working on that simultaneously with the, the off Broadway, yes, because it I worked on it for over three years, yeah, and so it. Um, Actually, it was supposed to be announced last summer and be out for Christmas. And I, this happens. Like my, the publisher, my editor changed. I, I went through three editors on this book, not because I was. They left. You know, the company wasn't me. And um, the um, this last editor, whom I love, I love them all. Casey McIntyre. She agreed to give me time to like do a last kind of rewrite before this galley was done. Of course, it did a major rewrite after the galley came out, but but she gave me this time. So it didn't come out for Christmas, which obviously would have been great for sales. But it it allowed me time after the show had closed to work on it for a few weeks. Did you learn? While working on the show in London. Well, uh, so what are, what are the fundamental differences, without giving too much away, between the novel and the stage production? It's really, um, well, there's several key things. First of all, the form of a novel allows you to go inside someone's mind in a whole different way. Mm. You know, and the, a musical allows you to sing what you're feeling. A book allows you to, the whole book, it's told, it's in third person, but it's first person. It's the first, it's close to Alice. Everything is from Alice's point of view. And, and the novels I love, which I know are scary titles for others, but like Proust is my favorite novelist. Joyce and I love interior novels. I love being inside the thoughts and heart and mind of someone. And you're in the heart and mind of this young girl going through this book, going through this world, right? But also in the show, we kind of introduce the tube station and you get meet Alice and Alfred. And then we kind of go we, down the hole and we're at Quickly in Wonderland. The book is really rooted in the historical fiction of this girl in a tunnel 
with these people around her and these soldiers coughing and dying and her boy she loves ailing and you're really in the tube state and you spend much more time with those people and then you what you do and you do go to wonderland and you do have those adventures but you also flash back to a lot of stuff that happened to her how she met alfred how they used to run and play on the lawn how they first did um you know perform scenes from mm-hmm. alice's adventures in wonderland how they oh it's, it's really sad to me um there's a scene where, you know, a lot of children were evacuated from London and Alice and Alfred were walking. This is a scene. It's like a flashback section of the book. And they're walking and Alice sees the children and she's so unsettled to see these children. He's like, come home, come home. And she has this premonition and she says, Alfred, I'm sorry, I'm going to get emotional. I'm going to try not to. She says, we have to leave London. He's, he's in the book. He's already been ill. Yeah. And so then he's gotten well and now the bombing's begun. And she says, you can't, you have to leave. And he says, no, my parents, I'm no, it's no different than you. And I'm here. And, and she, she, she can't insist. Right. Cause it would break his heart. And she was right. <laughs> That's oh, so gosh. Those are the kind of things you can do in a book. You. Yeah. The book, the book is, I mean, novels and books are different because different you're allowing the reader to make up the scenes. I mean, you're painting the picture with words, but like what I see in my mind as I read is different than what so you see. Yeah. yeah. And, and when you're watching a stage production, like we're all watching the same thing. And there's, I guess, less open to interpretation. But mm-hmm. um, I, I enjoy, I, I like those kind of books too, where you can really get into the character's yeah. motivation and their minds. And, um, it's interesting you said that we spend in the book we spend more time with the characters in the tube station because mm-hmm. that was actually if you want to talk about some of the the criticism yep. the reviews of the stage yeah. production it was that like the the characters in the present present day I put in air quotes you know yep. tube station um, were kind of like we didn't really have established relationships with them yeah I think it was hard you know because we, we were doing the show and. You know, we did a 90-minute show with no intermission, and we wanted to go on this journey in Wonderland. And, you know, that's the thing with musicals. Not everything stays. You know, in, in Spring Awakening, I was just um, Skyping with the... Um, there, I mean, this is historic. They're doing Spring Awakening in Shanghai. Mm. And um, the actors playing like Otto and Taya and Anna, you know, and Georg were asking me questions about their characters. I said, you know, actually, I'm full of answers because... I have all these scenes where Otto is the butcher's son and he has a crush on Anna and Anna has no interest in it. But it, none of it survived. But the thing was, I'm not comparing the two shows. I'm just drawing a parallel. Spring Awakening was, was already two acts. You had, you had intermission. You had time to develop the story in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, we are working on Alice by Heart again, the show. Mm-hmm. And we will profit a lot from what we learned but it is certainly true that there will never be in the show the kind of detail or depth you can give to a character in a novel. Well, that's like why why look at Harry Potter as two parts. And yeah. you have these long stage adaptations of novels it's that true. have to be seven hours long and they still leave things out. Yeah, it's true. It's really true. So the book follows the arc of the show, but you spend a lot more, you really spend time in the tube. And some of the scenes that happen, for example, the Duchess, you remember Noah, Galvin, mm-hmm. so indelible as the Duchess. 
um, there's a boy in the tube station, Dodgy, and it really becomes a question, is this boy just dressing up? Is this happening to her in the tube? Is this, or, and you're in, in her mind, because the whole Wonderland is in Alice's mind, in right. both the show and the you know, book. But in the book, you really are in her, her psyche. So you're really wondering, like, is she losing it? You know, I mean, what is happening to this poor girl? And she's going through this grief. So, are they the same age in the book? Like the fifteen. It, it, okay, so it's the boy. It's the kids. That, yeah, yeah, and some of the kids are a little younger, and some are older. Yeah, and I, the others in the station. Yeah. I, I just, I really, I actually liked it. I really liked the the stage production. Oh, good. Um, and and I started reading. I got I got the galley copy from your publicist oh, you recently, and I started reading some of it. Yeah, I can. It's a lot to get through in a couple of days. Oh, I understand. It's impossible. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to finishing it. Yeah. So, the finished book is better. <laughs> it is. Well, people are ordering. I feel um, odd about it because I mean I'm proud of the galley, but I did so much further work on it. Oh, really? Should I wait? Should I wait to finish it? Yeah, if you actually will read it later, it's it's better. Okay. <laughs> the All right. published copy that you can, you know, now you can pre-order yeah, it, I'll but pre-order. you're not going to get it till February 4th. It's better. Yeah. Okay. I will, I will wait and pre-order. <laughs> pre-order <laughs> the finished copy. All right. So let's go back to... I mean, if you saw Spring Awakening at the Atlantic, and if you saw it on Broadway, and I have seen it recently on film at Lincoln Center off Broadway, and it was beautiful. I've never been prouder of anything. It's so much better on Broadway. Like we improved it. So yes, between the, I know, again, I'm drawing some comparison, but between the galley and this, I, you know, I, I kept working on it. Yeah, well, <laughs> you should. And everything, I mean, even Broadway productions, when they go touring, they change. Like the We stu- did that. Yeah, the stuff always changes. And yeah. spring, like you said, uh, you said the Spring Awakening opening in Shanghai, some of the, some of the stuff didn't, didn't survive. Do you mean like some of the characters were cut or some of the oh, story no, no. was changed? No, no. I, what I mean was that I was talking to them about, I mean that on Broadway it didn't survive. Oh. I mean that Michael would say to me, you know, we need to know more about Otto and Anna. And I would say, Michael, we've, I've written these scenes for, you know, seven years. You know that they're not going to survive. And I want to see it again. And then I would write them again. And then we'd be like, this is great. And then we would cut it. Because there's no, <laughs> because you had to like get to the song. You had right. to, you know, so... No, so it wasn't, there were no changes to Shanghai. It's just, I was just, I was, oh, yeah. happened to be Skyping night before last with a cast in Shanghai who were asking as, I get a lot now of people asking me if is this character or that character, like as Anna Gay, I get asked a lot now. For some reason, that's hmm. what I get asked. Huh. But I, people have their own views as they approach these now. It's, it's, it's the statistic I, I was reading the other day, and I, I'm going to totally butcher this. It's, it's something, it's over the majority of kids, teenagers now, um, don't identify as, uh, don't have a sexual preference that's binary. They are totally like gender fluid is what they just call themselves now, whatever this generation is called. And I think that is incredibly admirable. And I, I mm-hmm. wonder, I have two small kids, and I wonder what they're going to grow up like, you know, because like, how long will it take before gay and straight just isn't a thing anymore? And you just are yeah. attracted to people. Yeah. Well, I hate to say this, but I mean, I don't mind saying this. I'm proud to say this, but my, this is what my TV show's about. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. So yeah. let's, that's what I wanted to get to. Well, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it. <laughs> I mean, it's been, mm, because it hasn't been, um, it was announced a bit. Let's here's, here's what I'll say. It's a non-binary love story and it has its, Origin in Shakespeare's Twelfth Night. Okay, and it's young okay. people. What? And it's a musical. Can you tell us what network we can look for it on? 
No, because we're shifting networks. Um, but I can tell you, we are. We are. Um, but Ryan Seacrest is producing it. Mark Webb is directing it. My partner, writing partner, is Lauren Gussis, who created Insatiable. We, um, we have this great, and I've written songs with Duncan, mm-hmm. and I've written songs with James Bourne, with whom I've written Murder at the Gates. And we have other composers on board, too. So it's very cool. So it's going to be a musical TV show. TV show, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. All right. Full of angst and adolescent yearning. I love that. Okay. But it's very different okay. because it's, it's actually set on a college campus. So if Spring Awakening is about that woundedness of adolescence and that unrequited feeling, college is about getting laid. You know what I mean? College, <laughs> college is about being free to explore it. And like, you know, so it's, it's a comedy. That's why I look to Twelfth Night. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I get college. <laughs> the pain is the same. It's just that you look at it differently. Right. Well, you, got, you got raging hormones now and no parents to tell you no. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. But you've also written song. You're a songwriter. You've written stuff for, for yeah. Shirley Manson and Michael Buble. And, I and, have. And it, so where, where does... Where did all this come from? All the, t- the TV and the songwriting, and because it's it's not pop music, but like as as it a is, well, I get yeah. Well, in other words, I have never written with a musical theater composer. Like I have all these musicals, but if look at the composers I've worked with, they're yes. Duncan, it's James, who's you know this boy band guy from London, busted its Burt Backrack pop music at Search Tankian. It's not. And the other composers I've worked with in the pop world are pop composers. Like there are, there are composers I really admire. Adam Gettle, you know, Justin Paul. I haven't worked with them. It isn't that I would. It's just not, hasn't been what's happened. That's fascinating to me because you come from this background of ancient Greek. I know. Like a I know. tragedy obsession. It, it, <laughs> it's phenomenal. But I did Prometheus Bound with Surge, and Diane Pauls directed it, right? And Amnesty International co-sponsored it. And we took Prometheus Bound, and I did this really faithful translation of Aeschylus. And Diane said to me, this feels really rock and roll to me. And I said, maybe we should get a composer involved. We were just going to do the play. And then, like, I think I proposed Surge. And I didn't even know Surge, but my music publisher, and they introduced me, and then it became a full-blown musical by the time we did it at ART. I'm hoping we're going to bring it back for the election. Wow. Well, that, for a concert or something. Yeah, that was your your story is just alone is incredible <laughs> of how you like overcame your own tragedy to turn it into what it is now, and then like you have created this this iconic show that still influences people. Like the adolescent people now listen to the soundtrack, and and I'm 39, I still listen to the soundtrack, and I can find wow. I find meaning into meaning into into the songs that I didn't know that I didn't see when I was. Wow. You, know, you know, 10 years ago when I was listening to it the first time. Yeah. So it's it's timeless. Like the coming of age, the the adolescence. And and I can, I guess, why why that? Alice by Heart, too, is about adolescence is. as well. Is that a particular, like, area of interest? I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. I guess it is. I mean, I, um, when I, the second national tour of Spring Awakening opened in Evansville. <laughs> so... And I hadn't been there in a long time. And um, I was sitting in this new amphitheater they had built. And um, suddenly people, like I was not heavy duty, but, you know, like the Jewish kid in Evansville, Indiana, who did theater. I was not, you know what I mean? Like they were bullying episodes. And so I come in and all these, those people, you know, a lot of people whom I hadn't seen in a long time. And they're like, children are like coming up to me for my autograph. 
And I was like, I was like, oh, what's happened? And I walk in and I sit in the theater and I'm watching the Latin class scene. I thought, oh my God, this is why I wrote this show. I was so miserable here. <laughs> like it never hit me. But so, no, I don't know. Here's what I would say about, and that's kind of off topic of what you asked me. What I would say is when you're in auditions and young people come in, they bring the future into the room. And it's really affecting to me. You know, we worked with, on Alice by Heart, we worked with Ben Platt and Beanie Feldstein and Molly Gordon and Darren Chris. I mean, all these, they were like, you know, Darren, I guess, was 19 or 18. They were like 15, 16. It was incredible. And so, um, yeah, Murder at the Gates is a young cast, too. I guess I love, there's something about it that's really remarkable. I think they, they, they bring an actual innocence to the, yeah. to, that the characters need. And a belief. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. they they have in events, and they haven't been jaded by the mm. being beaten down on the, <laughs> in the Broadway career yet. It's true. Yeah. Oh, I can totally see that. All right, that makes sense. I mean, I do long to, sometimes to work with more seasoned. You know, it's just a different thing. But you know, where Duncan and I are doing a musical of Maviano Rose. Do you oh, really? Yeah. No, I don't. And that's about a young trans girl, and the parents have great hearts, and we. I'm just saying, you know, it's not, they're not adolescents. It's like they're young children and they're grownups. You could write a sequel to Spring Awakening that's like Fall Awakening and it's the same characters <laughs> right. in, in their... Winter sleep. Yeah, winter. Yeah. yeah, there you go. They're in their retirement home and trying yeah. to find them, find themselves and explore their sexuality in their elder years. That would be good. There you go. I'd watch that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great question. Uh, okay. Oh, okay. So... Uh, Okay, we're going to wrap this up here, and I have three standard closing questions that okay. I ask everybody on the podcast. Okay. The first, very simply, is what motivates you? Oh, I want to make it, well, I didn't want to say I about it, but I feel like we all have to try and make a difference in the world. You know, I think that, you know, like, my determination in, in writing Spring Awakening for eight years was to touch the troubled heart of youth around the world. And my determination with Alice has been to, um, you know, ignite the sense of wonder in, in, all, in displaced souls around the world. So many people living in camps, you know. Mm. I, yeah, I mean, I, I think I believe in making a difference in the world. All right. And that's why we're here. And so the second question, what advice, what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Oh, well, those are different things. I mean, what I would say to myself and what I would say to others. What, 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 um, I would be tougher on myself. But I would say to trust your instinct. And, um, you know, that's what Emerson says. You most, you most have to stand by your own uh, perceptions and intimations. Well, most of all, when people, everyone is standing against you. All right. Final question then. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, Ooh. what would you see? Do you mean like a Broadway show? Any show. Like a stage show, a theater a show. Anything. I can give you guidelines if you want, but I always say any show. I don't know. Uh, Hamlet? Any particular production? <laughs> oh, yeah. Any particular production. Well, I loved the Robert Ike production starring Andrew Scott. In fact, I saw it like four times. I saw it, and then I brought my son to see it, and then he was only in London another day, and he insisted we go back and see it again. And then I <laughs> like went with my agent another time. It was so beautiful. But so, yeah, I would go with Shakespeare. All right. So then where can we find you online? 
You mean like on social media? Yeah. Yeah. Instagram. It's my name, Steven Sater. At Steven Sater. At Steven Sater and Twitter at Steven Sater. I just got on all these things to promote my books. So I was, I did. So I've been on Instagram about a year. I've been on Twitter less. Um, but I like it. That's where you can find me. All right. Facebook, same. All right. My name. You can get more of me at thetheaterpodcast.com. Show your support. Get your questions in at thetheaterpodcast.com slash Patreon. Find me on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. You can listen and leave a review, leave a rating. Just open out your phone, hit that five stars. This is edited by Matthew Hendershot. And thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music. And Stephen Sater, thank you most to you for being here and being such a wonderful guest. Thank you, Alan. It was a real pleasure. Great to be here. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.